Hello, beautiful. You are listening to episode 94 of the Africana Woman podcast. Chulu is my name. I am a writer, personal brand consultant, entrepreneur, and mentor. This show is the home of African women's stories. We share ideas, triumphs, challenges, and lessons from our perspective as women. Our library is a step to cementing our place in history. Her story, your story, is powerful. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to all the new listeners and welcome back, family. Click the subscribe button to make sure you are always the first to know when a new episode drops. And tell at least one girlfriend about the Africana Woman podcast today. I have to give a big shout out to the Africana Women in Kenya. Listen, you showed up strong this week. Oh my goodness, I was looking at the stats. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I would love to hear from you. Please connect with me on AfricanaWoman.com. Now, we are five conversations away from the official 100th episode celebration. On Saturday, 24th September, the Africana woman community shall be in Kabwe. Yo, <laughs> So we are going to be doing a live podcast recording. There is accommodation for the ladies who are coming from out of town because I know not everybody's from Kabwe. Now, I want you to think of it as a networking opportunity. You get to meet people that you've been talking to online for the longest time, guys. How exciting is that? There is going to be amazing fashion because I know how you guys do. You always come correct. You show up and understand the assignment and we will have interviews actually We're flipping the script. You guys get to ask me questions. So if you have a question for me that you want me to answer at the celebration, let me know. Send it to me, okay? So I'm very excited about that. There's going to be good food. Yo, guys, hey, all the things that I love in life. (laughs) All right. Get your ticket today at AfricanaWoman.com. And all you need to do is scroll down to the event section and it'll be right there. All right. So I'm excited to see you there. Now, I know many of the listeners, many of our listeners are not in Zambia. So I still want to make this a special experience for you. And we're looking at different options. So I'll let you know more details soon. Look out for that. Now, today we're talking about how to measure success as told through the fascinating life of Nalukwi. Enjoy. Nalukwi Mfungulua Muchindu is a passionate and experienced actress with skills ranging from acting, voice work, as well as presenting both television and radio. Having worked in the entertainment industry from as young as 19, she has honed and mastered her skill set over the years to be the talent she is today. So I'm very excited to welcome Nalukwe to the Africana Woman Mike. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. So for those of you who are just listening, you should see her. This woman is always glowing, first of all, just absolutely beautiful. And then in the background, there's a stunning, and I mean stunning, painting. Like, it's gorgeous. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Um, so my husband is an artist. Um, he's a painter. He's been painting since he was in high school. Um, he started doing it professionally a little bit over, um, I think, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so um, every time that I get an opportunity to plug his art, I will do that because I am his number one fan, stroke manager, stroke cheerleader stroke everything that you can think of so that's his art so beautiful so beautiful thank you okay so let's get into it what is your favorite childhood memory wow um i think my favorite childhood memory would probably be around the time that um i had both my parents um And I can't remember whether it was my father or mother's birthday party. I was really, really young. Uh, But um, I think my father was a bit tipsy. And so there was a lot of dancing and singing going on. And there was a lot of people around and my siblings were there. And I think it was just one of those really happy times. So that's definitely one of my favorites. Aw, that's nice. I know when you're looking at your father, like your parents, like, so I wonder why they're a bit more happy today. <laughs> right? As a child. You no, know, when you're older, you start to realize a lot of things. You start to put things together. Yeah, yeah. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Ndola, actually. Um, I was born in Luansha, uh, which is odd because we never actually... Well, my parents lived in Luansha once upon a time, so I... I suppose they got attached to the hospital there. So some of me and my siblings were born in Luansha, even though we lived in Ndola. So I was born and raised in Ndola. But you know what? It must be a thing because I'm also from Ndola, hey? And my sister, she was born in Luansha. So my mom went to Luansha. So it must have been that there was a really good, you know, either a really good doctor there or it was a... Yeah. yeah. So I I'm going to ask my mom. That's really curious, hey? Because, yeah, she, right. cause I remember when she was saying, oh, I'm going to the hospital and you're going all the way to Luansha. Like, why? <laughs> why? We have, like, several hospitals just here. <laughs> you know? And then how many siblings yeah. do you have? Oh, I've been getting this one a lot lately. So I'm prepared today. I don't have to count through them. I have a lot of siblings. I have 10 siblings. Um, or had, we started out as 10 siblings. Um, we've lost two along the way, but yeah, 10 siblings. That's a lot. Girl. Like what? Okay. Wait, what number are you? <laughs> <laughs> like I can't comprehend. I, um, I'm third from the end. I have two younger siblings. So I'm one of the more, I'm still one of the younger ones. Yeah. Are you guys like close knit? Very close. We're very, very close. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You said that one of your parents had passed on? Well, now both of them, but um, when I was eight years old is when I lost uh, my mother. Okay. And then I lost my father in 2009. So it was quite a gap. I had my father for quite a long time in my life, uh, fortunately. So, yeah, 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 that's great. I can imagine there's like so many, because in my mind, I'm like, okay, 
you know, 10 children, 10 siblings, and then all of their children, then you always say that, oh, I'm bringing them to grandma's house or granddad's house. <laughs> like the- Luckily enough, they checked out before that could happen. So they did have to struggle with that. But my, um, my father did meet um, quite a few of his grandchildren. Luckily enough, he never met the ones that he has from me. But they know of him, so they yeah. they know his memory. Aww. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always find it curious. How do you um, how do you maintain being you know a close knit family? Especially you know everybody has got their lives. They go here, they go there. Because um, and I also find that sometimes that especially when it's the woman that leaves, you know, like gets married, they kind of tend to separate more from their family Mm -hmm. and then they take more up of their husband's family. You know what I mean? Is it just me or my imagination? No, it definitely is a thing that happens. I am um, close with my husband's family. I feel like I see them more, but it's effort. It, It really takes effort to make sure that we're still in each other's lives. My oldest sister, who is our firstborn did very, very well with this. She always made sure that we depended on each other emotionally. So she made sure that she was this reservoir of everything. She was a reservoir of knowledge, companionship, friendship, um, advice and everything. And she likes to have a good time. So she w- she's the kind of person that will always find an excuse for us to hang out. And because of her, I feel like we have now continued a tradition of always being together for the kids' birthdays or anyone's birthdays. Um, we have a bride from time to time just to, you know, break bread together. Um, Christmas is a must. Christmas is such a huge deal in our family that we talk about it the whole year like we literally talk about it from the last christmas until the next christmas yeah, oh my so goodness. um yeah. she she really has done a great job at that um and right now she's not on the continent with with us and we really do feel it but we're trying hard to keep her you know like her legacy going so oh. that's why we, we put in the effort. Without the effort, I, pro- I think we probably wouldn't see each other at all. Yeah, but you're so right. You have to be very intentional about putting in that effort, right? And I think sometimes what may happen is maybe one, like maybe a fewer, like fewer siblings are putting the effort and then the other siblings are not. And then, then they get tired of always being the initiator and it's like, yeah. you kind of just die yeah. off. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. No, but as we force, as we if you don't come, we'll find a way. We'll come to your house. We force it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. How long have you been married? I have been married coming into seven years uh, this September. Nice. That's congratulations. That's awesome. So, I love a good um, love story. How did you meet? Okay, this one is it's it's, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people who weren't there find it very difficult to believe, but um, it's so cliche. Um, I became a cheerleader for his rugby team when 
uh, I was much younger. And so I became head cheerleader and he was the captain of the rugby team. So because we were always in the same place, I mean, we were cheering for them. And for me, the cheering part was what was, what it's, it's what I wanted. I had no intentions to be social or to get along with the guys. I didn't even know their names and I was fine with that. Um, but then this one time I was sitting with, um, I think about three or four of the other cheerleaders and he came up because he was friends with the other one and he started talking to her and like, just did not acknowledge <laughs> like the rest of us's existence. And I was just like, excuse me. Hello. Do you not see us? Can you say hi? And in the rudest way possible, he just looks up and he's like, Oh, hi. And then he walks away. So, so me being who I am, I'm like, who is this guy? Like, who does he think he is? So um, in time, I feel like we started to interact a little bit more because most of the girls started becoming friends with the guys and uh, we would hang out after games. So I started to see him a lot more and then we started to talk. Um, he was dating somebody else at the time and I was dating somebody else as well. So it was never... There was never any potential for anything. We were just literally conversing. And then um, he started to, you know, he ended his relationship and mine ended abruptly. I had nothing to do with the ending of my relationship. My boyfriend at the time just decided that uh, he was done. <laughs> so he dumped me on a phone call and I was just like, okay. So we started to talk a little bit more and then he he opened up about how he, he had, he had been watching me since, well, I became a cheerleader. So he had a little bit of a crush on me and because I was so standoffish and I never acknowledged anyone else's existence, he, hence the bad energy at the memory, the first memory that I have, cause he was just like, Oh, this chick, she thinks she's, who does she think she is? So for me, that was the first time we interacted, but apparently we had interacted many times before that. So, But yeah, I mean, eventually you exchanged numbers and the rest is history. I feel like in the first three days of talking to him on the phone, I knew that I had had, I found my husband and I even told him, I'm like, oh, you're going to marry me now. And yeah, here we are, seven years in. Really? Like that three days? Wow. I knew I he was checking so many boxes. Um and I had been I had been praying. I feel like after my previous relationship had ended, um I started to pray about I started to be intentional about the way I prayed for my life partner and I told God what I wanted. And this is a man that I always dreamed of, even when I was dating other people. You know, when you know, you're like, you're here because it's convenient or because the person has cute eyes, but in your heart, you know, you're like, this is not, this one doesn't fit. But when I started talking to my now husband, it, it, it was instant. Like as soon as we exchanged the first 300 messages, which was in one night, by the way, there was no WhatsApp back then. And so it was literal text messages back and forth. And the first night that we spoke, we slept at about three and 
I knew like the way the conversation was flowing. He got my humor, which isn't exactly normal. His humor is also terrible, but I got it. So yeah, I knew very early that that's that this is what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what? I kind of just have to go back to um, cheerleader because when we're thinking cheerleader, we're thinking pom poms. We're thinking, you know, like the short skirts. Like, is it that type of cheerleader? You're not wrong. (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) It was like that. Like we had these tiny little outfits. Um, I think there was one particular time where we did have pom poms. I'm, I'm not sure if this is false memory, but yeah, we did all the cheers like hands up splits and everything it was like proper cheerleader <laughs> wow okay first of all i've never seen that and then even like at a rugby team like that's interesting <laughs> i just had to go back to that one i was like wait are we talking about real cheerleaders or you're just like you know that type of crowd no, we were the actual halftime show which um team was he playing for lusaka lusaka um powerhouse yeah uh-huh. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Okay, so do you know what's so funny? I was listening to a podcast. um, It's called Behind Closed Doors by Cece. And she was, you know, her introduction, she's saying, oh, this is, um," she explains that it's a podcast for millennials. And then I was like, oh, okay. And then later on, it clicked, like, wait a moment, you are the millennial. <laughs> like, that had like, registered in my mind. But could you just give us, like, a general definition? What is millennial Gen Z? Are they not who? Are they not what? Like, it's so confusing. And sometimes, like, I just, I'm like, am I a millennial? But I'm not a baby boomer. But what am I? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, every generation has what you call, like, a tag. Basically, how to identify them without needing to know exactly when they were born. So instead of saying, oh, these are 90s or they are wild, like um, there's ways that people have clumped generations together. So like you said, you have the boomers who were born in the 50s and the 60s. um, And then you have, um, what generation comes after them? There's another, I think there's generation, no, why is the one later? Anyway, millennials were born from the early 80s up until somewhere in the 90s. So everybody that was born during that time will fall under the millennial umbrella. And then after that, you have Gen Z, which is our generation now, the ones that are growing up now, the teenagers, the early 20s, um, the ones that are calling us old and saying we're complicated and they don't understand us. And there's all this drama between Gen Z and millennials because we're so different. But yeah, (laughs) so we're millennials. Girl, it did not click in my head. It was only afterwards I was like, oh, wait, this is for me. (laughs) I just didn't get it. I was like... (laughs) You know why I just like, I don't know. I, I don't know. what I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I don't think about those things much, but it's I interesting. Do, yeah. What do you think, what do you think is, is something that, that really is unique to an African millennial? An African millennial. Um, you see, millennials in general are very unique in that we sit on 
an evolutionary generation. So when we were born, things were very, very different. Technology was very different. The way that people related with one another was also very, very different. And we've kind of been the transitional generation because while we know what dial-up internet is, like you remember the sound that the computer would make, you would, you know, those MSN and MySpace, you know that, but you're also not on your way out with things like TikTok and the way that technology works. I mean, millennials are very tech savvy because we've literally seen the evolution of technology. We're, we're technology, we're like, um, people in transition constantly. So that's why millennials as a generation are very, very unique. Now being an African millennial, you have, um, we're trying to pull away from a lot of old generational things. We're finally in a space where we can actually talk about certain things and be open about certain things. Whereas the generations before us were very tight lipped about them. Um, we have been told that we can express ourselves. We can express our discomfort and while this is something we're able to do now, it is not how we started out. We're different from Gen Z because Gen Z, I feel like they just popped out and they were like, you know what, you're stressing me. You are not good vibes, you know, but we kind of had to learn that. We had to deal with the bad vibes before we realized that we can express ourselves and talk about how we don't want bad vibes. So being an African millennial for me, puts me in a space where the world is so accessible to me. So different cultures are accessible to me. Different lifestyles are accessible to me. I have been exposed to a different way of thinking, whereas other people maybe didn't have that because for them, what they knew growing up was what was taught in schools, what was there in textbooks, and that was it. If you know about America, it's because you've seen it on a map somewhere and you know, oh, it has this many states because that's what the book that you're reading says. Whereas for me, if I want to know about American culture, I can go on YouTube. I can make friends in America. So the, the way that they live or the way that people in Europe live tends to rub off because you're exposed to so many cultures. So now you're realizing that maybe I don't have to be the typical mother wife that Africa has dictated me to be not because I'm running away from my roots, but because I realize that some of my roots are flawed. Some of my roots are, are designed to work against me. So now you're exposed and you know better and you do better. So we're kind of in a, at a crossroads with um, what we want and what we need to do to continue on with our authenticity, but also with our wokeness. And I use wokeness in air quotes because it's, it's usually misused and misrepresented that word. Like I'm woke, but sometimes people are saying that because they want to use it as a passport to be rude or to put down other people. So that's why I'm saying woke. So being a millennial in Africa right now, there's a lot of exposure, um, a lot of things that we're learning and a lot of things that we have to unlearn as well. Okay, I want you to go there. What are the things that we are unlearning? (laughs) 
Let me let me speak personally because it's 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 always very complicated when you start to speak for a group of people that are like we didn't we didn't we didn't ask you to do that. Um, so for me personally, I've had to unlearn that things like mental illness are not ifyabasungu. And that's something that I heard a lot when I was growing up. I grew up with terrible anxiety, which um, then <laughs> turned into... No, okay, sorry. So I'm just going to translate for our listeners who are not from Zambia. So she says that... Um, Something that was usually said was, you know, mental health, like if you've got a mental illness, is for white people. That's what white people do. It's not what black people do. Yeah. So just that's not a black people thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I grew up uh, riddled with anxiety and um, terrible self-esteem. I had very low self-esteem. I had chronic shyness. And I know it's very difficult for a lot of people to believe this now because you can't get me to stop talking and I'll talk anywhere. <laughs> but um, whenever I would have a panic attack, it wasn't addressed as a panic attack. It was just, just calm down, like just breathe. What is wrong with you? Just chill, you know? Um, so it was only when I was older that I realized because now you have WebMD or all these people that are telling you what a panic attack is, that you realize you've been suffering from them all your life. So I've had to unlearn that mental illness is something that only affects people who are of white skin or live in, uh, you know, first world countries. Um, and being more open about talking about these things has helped a lot because now you realize it's not just you. There are a lot of other people around you, your friends, your family. Um, looking back, you even start to see that there were um, aunts and uncles, older people that possibly were experiencing things like bipolar or depression, but nobody addressed it as that. You know, everyone just said, ah, that one's complicated or that one's got bad energy or don't go to that one's house. He's got a short temper and things like that. So I'm having to unlearn that particular thing. Expressing myself is not a weakness. Removing myself from toxic environments is not a problem. And leaving toxic relationships behind is advised because, you know, being an African, you're told everybody in your family they're your family. No matter what, you have to be with them. You have to do this. You have to forgive them. And I know coming from saying that me and my family are very close and we'll show up at your house if you don't want to chill with us. But obviously, um, we're very respectful about people's boundaries. People are living different lives now. Back in the day, it wasn't like that. You would just be told, oh, okay, um, this person is coming to your house. And this is a person you know doesn't get on with your children. Um, this is a person that's problematic and causes discomfort for the people that is around them. And instead of getting them help, you're just pushing them into these um, spaces. And you as a child living in this house, you can't say anything because you're just a kid. And so you're, you, you, you're meant to just deal with this toxic relationship that over and over again creates such a bad environment for you, especially 
for me, somebody that suffers from anxiety, now every time you hear that this particular relative is coming for a month or whenever, now you can't breathe, now you can't think straight, now you can't eat because you're thinking, oh, they're going to fight about this or they're going to point out that or they're going to make me feel bad about this, you know, uh, body shaming and all sorts of things. The toxicity is alive in the African culture, guys. Like, we are toxic, you know, like anywhere else in the world. So learning and learning that family um, or rather learning that family can be toxic, that you can walk away from toxic relationships and that's okay. So those are some of the things that spring out to my mind, the things that we've had to unlearn. Mm-hmm. I feel like you are a, I don't know if it's like a, I don't know the right word, paradox or juxtaposition. <laughs> it's interesting. Like you've said, you, you grew up with anxiety and, and you had chronic shyness. And then of course, you're somebody who's a public figure. Um, and I think it's also something that should be pointed out is that you, your entire home is very artistic. <laughs> you know, where people think like, are you serious? <laughs> like, yeah, you're a full-time artist. So what? <laughs> so your husband exactly. is an artist and then you are also uh, into the, into, in the entertainment business and the arts in that sense. And it's, it's very interesting in terms of just being brave enough to make that choice, like you said, um, and finding your voice. What do you think changed for you? What made you say, because I mean, you started acting as early as 19. So what, what changed for you? What happened? For me, acting is always something that I was able to do. Um, I, I, I discovered very young that I had an ability that, you know, not everybody did. Because, you know, when you're playing games and um, you're with your friends and then you start doing an accent and then your friends stop playing and they're like, that was really good, you know? And they're like, really? Oh, okay, can't you do it? You know, so when, when you start, when you're growing older, you start to realize that, oh, that's that's a strength. Oh, that's something that I can do. Oh, that's something else that I can do. Um, but like I said, growing up in an African setting, there were five careers in mind and I had to be one of them because that's what you're told. You have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer, you have to be an engineer, you have to be a one, like an economist. There, there, there are these careers that every parent pushed onto us. And for me, I felt like I had to become a doctor or then a lawyer, because I felt like this is something that I kind of can do. I'm kind of smart. I kind of can talk. Maybe I should become a lawyer. It was never something that I wanted, like, so desperately. What I wanted so desperately was to act. And I remember fighting with my sister for the longest time because of it. I finished school and I didn't do well at all. My grade 12 was terrible. I flunked so bad that I was not going to UNSA. I was not going to go to CBU. Like my results were terrible. And even then I was only thinking about getting that kind of an education because that's what my sister had said. Well, that's what my father had said. And so even when I started to get, um, exposed to the entertainment industry, 
um, I felt at home there because my first step in the entertainment industry was working on radio. And it was the perfect spot for me. I found so much of myself on radio. I learned so many more skills that I didn't know that I could acquire on radio. And so while my sister was entertaining me doing radio in the back, she was always like, school, what are we doing? Okay. Start studying. Okay. You're going to be a lawyer. Let's get you into law school. Um, and then I remember, um, she had found me a job as a paralegal at a law firm. And I was just like, my anxiety was so bad. I didn't want to do it. And I couldn't tell her that I didn't want to do it. And so I kind of just like flew under the radar. Like every time she asked me a question, I'd have some weird answer about it because I didn't want to do it. I wanted to be on radio. And then after I started acting, it's, it made so much sense to me because the first thing that I did was such a hit, like it was such a commercial hit that for me now, my, my, my trajectory had changed. I was like, okay, so if I could do this, I'm going to be acting really, really big very soon. I'm going to find myself in South Africa. And then while, when I conquer South Africa, the whole of Africa is going to know who I am. And then I'm going to end up in Hollywood, you know, because of this one thing. It was very, very difficult to make my sister understand that that's what I wanted to do. So we did fight for a couple of years after that. She tried to get me back into school. I'd go for like six months and I'd find an excuse to leave. And I'll go back to another school for another six months. And, you know, I remember I started, I, I've got like a certificate in business administration. I've got a certificate in law. I've got two certificates in marketing. And it was literally just like, okay, okay, okay. Because my sister kept nudging me into that direction. But deep down, I knew what I wanted to do. And I feel like I understand where she was coming from because she wanted to create um, security for me. And at the time, there was no security in the arts. There was no Zambezi magic. There was no Zuba. There was none of these things that are now employing people that are providing health insurance. Like it's proper work now. So back then there was very little security and she was not having that. But I knew what I wanted to do in my heart. I felt that God had told me what I was meant to become. And so even with the, you know, the lack of the money or making it big, uh, so to speak, I still held on hope because I knew what my heart was saying. And I was like, there's no way that I would feel like this if this is not the path that God wanted me to take. So I felt very, very strongly about that. And having met somebody that was so supportive about the arts because he was an artist himself. Mind you, he went to business school, got his degree and did all the extras and everything. He did that. So even when he paints now, he's painting in his spare time. He's got a full, full-time job. Like he, he is a proper, is a working man. Um, but the fact that I found somebody like that, somebody who was willing to take a chance on me, somebody who was willing to, you know, be my safety net and be my blanket and we're just, we were both just trying to figure things out. And even now we're both just trying to figure things out, trying to 
make ends meet and trying to make sure that we continue to provide a roof over our children's heads. And it's not easy. It's very difficult, especially in a time where there's so much uncertainty. Um, even though there is more stability, it's still very, it's still very uncertain being an artist in this country. Um, but it really did help that my family came around and they understood what I was trying to do. And they recognized that, you know, there was, this is who I was. And I feel like it helped when they were standing wherever it was and hearing other people talk about, oh, your sister is really good. Oh, I saw your sister last night on TV. And I suppose that kind of helped. They were like, okay, uh, I guess she's all right. You know, so the environment really did become suitable because even the friends that I have are very, very supportive. Even now they believe in what I'm trying to do. They believe in the process. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like the fact that I have so many people, like my village is very strong and my village has allowed me to continue to discover myself. And that's why I'm here because I have people that believe in me. So, yeah. That's amazing. I always love it when I hear women talking about a strong village. I think that is so foundational in being able to achieve your dreams. You know, I think back then you were told, you know, it's either or, but now it's and because of the village, right? So I, I honestly do love to hear when people talk about their village, now, just to go into the, I guess, the entertainment industry and just have a little conversation around that. I'm very curious around, I guess, two things. The first is, I'll ask the first question. <laughs> so I'm very curious around what your views are on, um, I guess, the image of women in the media, right? I recall having a conversation. I interviewed um, a Kenyan um, radio. She was a former radio host. And, you know, she was just, she was not pleased with the way that, you know, women were, I guess, sexualized or expected to be a certain shape, form, and all of that. And it's radio. <laughs> Hello, it's radio. Right? Let's just get serious. You know what I mean? But anyway, yeah. So I'm just wondering, is it, is it like, what is the entertainment industry like in Zambia, your experience of it when it comes to women's bodies and even, I guess, women aging? Because that's a big thing when you look at Hollywood, isn't it? Where it's like, yeah. you get to a certain age and it's like, you're not getting any jobs as much, you know? So, yeah, just tell us a little um, bit about that. Being a woman who is in the entertainment industry and has been in the entertainment industry for as long as I have, they never see our talent first, ever. They never see our abilities first. They never see what we could do for them with our strengths. They never see that. We are constantly needing to prove ourselves. We have to prove that we're able to do this. We have to prove that we're able to do that. Um, you find a situation where um, the first uh, instinct 
is to hire a man. And because of maybe the way it looks or the aesthetics, then you'll be like, okay, let's add a lady to balance things out. It's never, let's do this because this is the perfect person for the job. So even when you're doing a job or even when you begin to attain success in the entertainment industry, it's constantly, who's she sleeping with? How did she get that job? I, I have slept with every single one of my bosses. Every single one I have slept with them. That's how I got what I got. Not because I was good at what I did. Not because I worked hard. Because I slept with my bosses. Because that's the only way that certain people can fathom you being in a position that you are. And for clarity's sake, because I feel like there are certain people that will be listening to this and say, oh my gosh, she slept with her bosses. I was being sarcastic. <laughs> I mean, people have said these things because it never made sense for me to be in the spaces that I was. I was a 19-year-old child in the lead role of a movie, the first movie to show in cinema, it went on to break all kinds of records. It was sold out for weeks ahead. Like if you went to buy a ticket today, you'd be buying a ticket for a showing two weeks from now. That's how successful this movie was. But it wasn't that Nalukui is a good actor. It was how did she get that role? Who did she sleep with? Why would they give her such a role? She's so young, not because of the fact that, oh, she's talented. And then after that, I went on to um, get a regular role on Kapanana, which was a soap opera at the time. And even there, my, my role was very, it was very in the middle. So it meant that I interacted with pretty much all the characters on the show. So I was working a lot. I think I was working the most. Um, and even then it was like, okay, so why does she get these perks? Why does she do this? Why does she do that? And for me, I was very strong-willed from the very beginning. I feel like I always had a point to prove ever since I was a child. And so I was always like very firm and I was always ready to walk away. And I feel like this is, this is both a flaw and uh, an advantage for me because I'm always ready to walk away. I'm like, you're not going to take advantage of me. Me, I'm out. <laughs> like, you're going to give me what I need or I'm out of here, you know? So even there, I was sleeping with my boss because why is this child still getting, you know, better treatment or whatever than these other people um, when it just meant you needing to negotiate your contract better or something like that? So having stayed in this space and then taking a lot of time off, which I did, I worked in other roles. Um, I worked for a gym for a while. Um, uh, I, then I got married and then I had my child. Uh, so there were a lot of things that were happening and I, I, I stepped away because like you mentioned, there's a thing with aging and also like your body so I felt like I wasn't good enough for the industry because I had put on a bit more weight. And I've always been a, a bit of a, on, on the heavier side. Well, not always, like in my adult life, let me say that. Because I was really skinny up until I was like 20, 21. So um, 
there was that. So I pulled myself away because I felt like I wasn't um, getting the roles that I wanted to because of the way that I looked, which continued to happen even after I had my second child. And even when I ended up on um, Zua, it was to play again a role of a woman that was much older than me. Um, for reference, I've never played my age. Ever since I started acting, I've never played my age. When I was 19, I did not play a 19-year-old. When I was 21, I did not play a 21-year-old. My first role was playing somebody that was probably my age now. <laughs> and um, that was all those years ago. Um, so there's a lot of insecurity that comes in because um, there's there's a huge emphasis on a leading lady needs to look like this. A leading lady needs to do this. So with that being said, you always have to prove yourself. Even with the talents that you have, the first thing that people are going to notice is what you look like. Unfortunately, because of the industry that we're in, it's a visual industry. People feel like that's what the most important thing is. But in certain situations, we find ourselves um, turning out subpar things because we've turned away somebody that was genuinely good for a role because maybe they've got bigger thighs than they would like or her boobs were too big. And all of a sudden, this person is not good enough. But the one thing that people need to remember is that I am who I am. I am a representation of an African woman. This is what we look like. This is who we are. So if you're going to tell me that I don't look the part because I look older, I'm sorry, I am 35 years old. This is what 35-year-olds look like. And so um, I feel like Hollywood has set a very nice tone to body positivity, and we're starting to see that trickle down even to industries like um, Nigeria and South Africa, where the, the leading lady doesn't have to be a size zero. Um, we've seen more plus size women taking on the roles. We've seen older women leading um, movies or TV shows, which is great. Uh, we have a bit of a delay here, but we're doing a lot better than we did, let's say, when I started. So women are constantly needing to prove themselves in this industry. We, we don't start off at zero. We start off like at negative 20. So we need this 20. Like We need to make up this 20 before we even get to zero, before we can even start. <laughs> so there are a lot of things that are designed against us. We are sexualized in in ways that the people that are sexualizing us don't even realize that they're doing that. Because if you tell me, oh, you know, you don't look the way that it's supposed to look, that's from a sexual perspective. Because you can't tell me how a 35-year-old person is supposed to look when literally that's who I am. That's what I look like. It should be allowed that there are people like me that look like me. I have friends who look like me. I have sisters and cousins who look like me. So you can't tell me because... I can't wear a certain dress to, you know, attract the opposite sex. Then uh, maybe, maybe we, we can't use you in this movie or maybe you can't do this, you know? So it really is an uphill battle for us. And as women, um, I'll give you an example of our very own uh, Mutale Mwanza. Mutale is a very talented woman. 
I have huge respect for Mutale Mwanza. People may not like her. People may not like the way that she communicates, but she's a business woman. And Mutale Mwanza has been presenting for years. She's been a TV presenter, radio presenter for a very long time. But even now, people have to justify her success. They can't allow her success to be success. They have to find ways to be like, no, it's because she was dating that guy. That's how she got that job. And then that she got that car. And then there's always this constant, it has, there has to be a reason. Not because she's a hardworking woman who's good at what she does and has a job and whatever. We're constantly trying to pull down women in the industry. Mwaka Mogala is another person that you're constantly hearing, oh no, she does this and then she does that. That's why she's like this. You know, like it's not because she's been in playing the lead role of Zuba for how many seasons now? Let's forget that, that she's done that. Let's justify her success through other ways. But you never hear that for the Leos of this world or um, the Sam Sakalas. You never hear that they have to go through these things because they're men. They never have to prove themselves. Some of them, they just need to look a certain way. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, oh, okay, that guy. Oh, he's got, like, fans. Let's put him in a show. Let's put him in a movie. And most of them are really talented actors. I love them. These are my peers. They're, they're great. Um, but to say that uh, it's, it's, it's the same in the industry, that is terribly inaccurate. Women have to prove themselves a lot more in the entertainment industry in Zambia. They have to deal with a lot more shaming. They have to deal with a lot of criticism just for being a woman. Like, it doesn't matter what you've done. Just show up, put a picture of yourself on the internet and someone will find they'll have a problem with it. And that's how we are. <laughs> that's what we deal with on a daily basis. Daily. So that's the industry. Girl, you just said a whole lot there. You know, it's interesting in terms of when you think about what needs to happen for there to be a change. You know what I mean? Because I, I think there is that improvement, right? Because before um, most of the shows were, were um, the lead role was a, a man, right? But you find like yeah. the bigger shows right now, it's a woman that's the lead um, in that particular show, right? So like you mentioned, Suva, Ubuntu, those types of shows. But then what is it that's going to have to change you know because i've sort of given okay this is just like my personal preference i've sort of given up on um hollywood but i look at an industry like um like korea south korea right and they their screenwriters 90 percent of them are women right and even on tv you're actually not allowed to really sexualize women or you know have those like raunchy scenes and all of that kind of thing the most that will happen is a guy would take off his shirt <laughs> then they're like ah, oh wow but most of the times it, you know for them the way that they <laughs> communicate um desire it, it it goes into actual acting you, you get it's, it's not just Oh, because she's wearing like a, a tight something, then yes, that that has made her attractive. But then, you know, there's much more effort in the the, the writing, yeah. storytelling, and even just the requirement of men to be to show some sort of emotion 
because I find that with, I think this is something that's sort of lacking in, you know, be it African um, industries, even South Africa and Nigeria, or the bigger um, industries where the men are not really required to be emotional. You know what I mean? They're kind of just like, okay, you guys will just show up. And then who are the emotional people? It's the women who have to do more of the acting of the emotional parts, you know? So yes. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Oh, uh, that is so accurate. Like, um, I, 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 I have followed uh, quite a few um, of these um, industries and everything. And while we do have some really talented actors, I feel like sometimes they really do throw it to the women to like prove a scene. Okay, this is an angry scene. Let's have an angry woman in it. Oh, she's going to come and scream. And oh, okay, this is an emotional scene. Let's have a woman come in and cry about how she's so in love. And oh, this is a what scene. Let's, you know, so like there's a lot of, 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 there's a lot on our shoulders as, as actors in this industry. And, I don't know what will need to happen uh, for it to change. Because while you mentioned like you've got a lot of screen um, screen writers that are female in South Korea, that's the case here as well. The majority of the writers that we have, the talented ones are female. Um, I feel like it's about giving them more of a shot, giving them more of a platform. Um, and it's, it's so funny that even when I'm watching TV now, I can tell which scenes were written by a man. I was like, oh, yeah, no, a man wrote this. <laughs> like this. This was definitely a man. A woman would never say that. You know, like you can feel it. You know, you don't have to wait for the credits. You can just be like, Mm, yeah, yeah, this was a man. Um, I don't know if we should wait for things to just organically happen because we know how well that has ended in the past. Um, so things are changing, although let me say that things are definitely changing. Um, women are, are acquiring more power, and I feel like that's what we need to shift things more women in power, more women that realize that the bigger picture hasn't yet been seen by the industry, more women showing people that there are different ways to communicate art, that there are different ways that people can understand what's going on. We can't stay in this backwards way of, of, of doing things. And this goes back to what I said, like we're a generation that is learning new things and we're unlearning things as well. So we're in this perfect space where we can actually like bridge the gap between these two generations and say, listen, Gen Z, while they may be a little bit toxic, they are very, very healthy in terms of their communication. They are effective communicators. And this generation are more on the conservative side. And so because of their conservation, they're able to, you know, preserve a lot more of what we have, our culture and things that are important. And so us as the bridging generation are able to sift through both and say, listen, Gen Z, um, the boomers might be onto something. Listen, boomers, Gen Z might be onto something because I feel like we have effortlessly gelled the two. You know, um, we are in this space where we are working on ourselves. So maybe not effortlessly, but, you know, we've kind of, we're at an advantage because we've experienced two different generations and we're 
on the like the evolution curve. So even with that being said, even in the industry right now, the fact that we are this kind of people, we're these kind of African women, we can now change people's mindsets as long as we're given the chance and the platform to express it. As long as we're given the voices to show people that say, hey, this is the way things were done in the past, but let's try this. Or have you considered this? Um, and the only way that that will happen in better situations is, like I said, if more women have more influence, if more women are in the, the boardrooms, if more women are in the decision-making meetings, if more women are in the situations where they say, mm, we're not going to go with this, this is not going to fly, and that is actually what happens. Not just a fly on the wall who was like, oh, okay, I wish they didn't say that, or I wish I didn't do that, you know? So just for us just to keep trying to occupy the spaces um, where we've been nudged out of because we're women. And that's happening. We're, we're, we're fierce. We're a force. African women are a force, you guys. Like, just look at the biggest country, uh, the companies on the continent. How many of them are being headed by female CEOs? It's our time now. And we will be heard. So things are changing. I love that. Okay, as we are winding down, how do you measure your success as a millennial? You see, that for me has been one of the biggest challenges over my life because when you're influenced by um, the exposure that I spoke about earlier on, you're seeing people's lives um, on social media and you're thinking that's the measure of success because this person's gone on vacation or this person has built their second home and you're in the space where you're still paying rent and you're barely making ends meet and things like that. Before, for me, it was very difficult to see myself as where I'm meant to be. I kept on feeling like I've been left behind because friends that I went to school with um, are doing so much better than me financially um, or they're living their best lives this way and that way. There was a lot of pressure on what success actually was. And it, it almost always came down to material possessions. It came down to what car are you driving or, um, you know, where are you living? What are you able to do with your salary? And, you know, what, how, how big is your savings account? It was very, very difficult for me to stray away from that because I kept on finding that when I measured against that scale, I was losing. I was constantly losing. And I was constantly looking at myself thinking, have I done nothing worthwhile? Have I failed? Am I failing? And when I, when I changed my perspective, when I started to see success as different, um, the fact that I'm still here, the fact that I'm still trying, the fact that I'm still learning, the fact that I'm still open to change, that is success to me. The fact that I have experienced all these things um, and just because I'm not where I thought I would be, it doesn't negate everything that I've done. I mean, I've done some pretty awesome things in my life and looking back to them and appreciating that those were extraordinary things allows me to be like, yeah, that's success. Do I have a million dollar mansion on the beach yet? 
No, I don't. Not even close. Am I successful? Absolutely. I am a successful, beautiful African woman who is growing every single day because now my measure of success is how am I waking up in the morning? Am I happy? Um, am I taking time to look around me? Am I smelling the flowers? Am I looking at sunsets? Am I harnessing my relationships? Am I cultivating them? Am I growing them? You know, that's success. I have successful relationships with my friends. I have successful relationships with my family. Um, I, I, I am constantly working on my goals. Um, I am, I have vision. I have, I have like promise and, and thirst and hunger for a future, but I'm still not negating the things that I've done. Every failure is a lesson and that is success. The fact that I can look and say, Hey, I did that. (laughs) Didn't work out, but I'm not doing that again. That's me successfully avoiding a bad path again. And so, yes, looking around and appreciating that your success lies in what you think success is like, what are you deciding to appreciate? What are you deciding to look at and say, I did good there. It could be you ending a bad relationship. That's success. It's you recognizing that maybe you've been making the wrong decisions and you want to start making the right ones. That is success. It could be with you looking at your friends and saying, look, you know, we drink too much. Maybe we should drink less and, you know, talk business every once in a while. That's success. It doesn't matter. No other person can tell you what success is. There is no measuring stick for success. There are people that own Fortune 500 companies and still don't feel successful. And then there are people that are running a content but feel like they have made it. It's all about perspective. And that's what I needed to change. And I finally have, and I'm so much happier for it. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful, girl. So please let the audience know where can they find you? How do they support you? Like, what are you working on right now? Where are we going to find Naloque? How do we get our dose of Naloque? Okay, so um, I'm a goofball. So if you like that kind of thing, you can find me on TikTok. I love doing TikToks. Um, It's just a nice, funny way to just connect with the rest of the world through trends. And um, just it's it's a nice little creative outlet for me. So you can follow me on TikTok. That's Naluki M. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Mrs. Muchindu. Uh, and also on Facebook, Nalukwe Mufungua, that's my page. Um, yeah, um, not uh, on television right now, but I will be. And I will let you know as soon as I am. Ooh, exciting, exciting. Guys, I ha- I'm not a TikTok person, but I do have a very, very um, good source who says that her TikTok is hilarious. So you better go check it out, okay? <laughs> Please go check it out. Please. <laughs> it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Um, I honor you as a woman and all of the wonderful things that you do and just your generosity in being able to share your story is um, something I don't take for granted. So thank you very much.
Thank you so much for having me. The pleasure has been all mine. Thank you. <laughs> Guys, I honestly did not know that I was a millennial. <laughs> Hilarious, right? I think I was thinking about it in terms of being a youth. Like, when do you grow out of being by youthy? But you know what I mean? Anyway, but I guess millennial is stuck with me for life, okay? So for the younger listeners, I just want to point out that even though Nalukui did not excel in her grade 12 exams, she has still gone on to be extremely successful and do amazing things because we we weigh so much on that grade 12 exam. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, that's going to be like the make or break moments. Like, you, I know people that, you know, didn't do so well in their grade 12 and it's just something that has just haunted them for the rest of their life. But that is just a single moment. There is so many ways that you can be successful and you can do well and excel. Like academia is not the only way, you know, but I know that as parents, we're putting so much pressure on you better pass, you know, you need to get a scholarship, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to go to Unza, Besari, Shani, you know, there's so much pressure behind it. And I think sometimes, not even sometimes, like, let's just let go of how much pressure we're putting on people to get those grades and, you know, in the long run, it doesn't really matter. It's just a moment in time. So, yeah, I just think that this our society just puts too much too much weight on education, and everyone having to get straight A's. Anything less than that, then you will not amount to anything in life. That's not true. I'm being sarcastic. Cue rolling my eyes. There are millions of ways to be successful. You just have to change your perspective. I also really admired how Nalukui's family of 10 guys, okay, now they're eight, but you know, like of 10, that's such a lot of people, (laughs) you know, they have managed to stay really close. Now, one thing I have not been successful at is having any sort of relationship with my family, okay? At one time, I thought it was because I had left the country. So, you know, you like I left when I was in my formative years and then um, I was out for about seven years and then I came back and I was like, oh, okay, maybe that's why there's this sort of separation and gap. But now I know that even if I hadn't left the country, I still would not have a relationship with them. Now, I feel like kudos to you if your family is close. I do think that as millennials, one of our characteristics is placing more importance in our friends than family. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. So send me a message. Let me know what you think. I hope your takeaway from this conversation is that even if you are not academically strong, you can still be successful. Even if you choose a career path that is unconventional, it is your passion, you can still be successful. People will have you believing that, you know, they'll paint this picture that if you don't have the top five professions, lawyer, engineer, you know, doctor, so on, accountant, those, you know, types of, of um, professions, if you're not doing that, 
oh my goodness, lo and behold, you will be on the streets, the starving person. Like, guys, can we just be serious? Let's just be focused. Even if you have not traveled out of the country, because I feel like that's such a pain point for some people. Even if you have not traveled out of the country, you are still connected to the world at your fingertips. And you can have whatever lifestyle you want. All you have to do is believe that you're worthy of that lifestyle. So at Africana Woman, we give our guests their roses in the now, in the right now. <laughs> Please find Nalukwi on Instagram at Mrs. Muchindu. Tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast. Take a screenshot of this episode and tag us. We want to keep the conversation going. Now, the mission of Africana Woman has always been to tell more African women's stories. One of the ways that we're doing this is by helping you start your own podcast. If you have a burning idea and you are interested in launching a podcast, but you don't know where to start, contact us at africanawoman at gmail.com. Your story is important. Now, my playground is Instagram. Find me at Chulu by Design. Tag me, tell your friends about the Africana Woman podcast. And again, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, because that helps us spread the word about this show to more African sisters out there. So talk to you soon. This has been a production of Africana Woman Media.